0: Old expression about life is what happens, or something. Life is about what happens when your plans don't work. Or um, butchering the crap out of that one, but I don't really care that much. I think I've got an expression of my own, uh, and that is plans don't exist. And that's that's the life of the parent, really. And I guess it, it, it's similar for most folks, but it certainly does ramp up in say efficiency, but that's the that's the wrong word. Frequency, for sure, once you get a couple of rugrats running around. Uh, kid number two out here has a cold, so uh, school won't take him, which meant that my morning got derailed, and he didn't really want to nap because his nose was too snuffly, and so here we are with a podcast coming out in the mid-afternoon. Luckily, It's still the off-season. I believe this is off-season episode number 62, but I'm not entirely certain on that one. Maybe somebody else is counting for me here. And we continue to set all kinds of listenership records throughout this off-season, so thank you once again. I want to try to say that at least once in every single podcast this off-season. I am Dan Baspris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. For those that might be tuning in for the first time, we're at that part of the year now. We're into July. Free agents have signed, many of them, not all of them. Still waiting on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Nets claiming they might just go into the season with both of them, but come on, let's get real here. That's a horrible idea. We saw Houston try that. James Harden just ate his way right out of Houston. You really want to put an irritated Kyrie Irving back in that mix? I I mean, if you, if you bring those guys back and they're annoyed, first of all, they're not going to play, and then, then you sort of Poison the well for whoever might still be there, which we know with Ben Simmons, the well, the well water can seemingly be poisoned pretty quickly. Well, what does he does he play? I don't know. In any event, we have one very large main topic to talk about today. We're kind of saving it to get back into the main swing of things today, of course the post-holiday day, July the 5th, although, look, let's be honest, this is July 4th hangover day. And the big story from late last week, which we still haven't covered on the podcast, is the Rudy Gobert trade. I have two small stories I want to cover as well, and also just general rumors swirling around the Kevin Durant stuff. And the biggest one on KD right now is that the Raptors are the team that could swoop in out of nowhere. We know KD said he preferred to be on the Heat or the Suns, which remains hilarious that he's like, "Oh, by the way, if you're going to trade me, please trade me to the number 1 seed in either conference from this last uh the 2021-22 season." <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure, buddy. Anyway, I don't know when all that stuff is going down, but it does it really does feel like the Raptors have the right pieces to go make it happen. I don't actually, I don't even know what they have in the way of picks, but they have young players on a pretty good team, which is kind of a rarity. That type of stuff doesn't really go together where you don't like you have the young guy who's not on a forty or fifty million dollar extension already. They've got the Scotty Barneses and OG Ananobi, teams like those guys. Pascal Siakam, he's got his extension already, but teams love players like that. Go get K D, who's still got a few years left on his contract, I would do it. They went buck wild with a trade once before and they got themselves a championship. So, anyway, that's the rumor floating around, but overall, there's not much there and there isn't much. There isn't any real reason on a fantasy basketball podcast, at least. This was a regular show. We could spend the entire thing just talking about where KD might end up. But as far as we're concerned, what we do on this pod, we want to prep for fantasy draft day. That's every single, that's the purpose, I should say, of every single thing we do between the last day of the regular season this past year and whenever your fantasy draft might be. Every single thing we do is for that one goal right now, and just moseying through Kevin Durant rumors doesn't really help us there. It's compelling. It's compelling NBA stuff to talk about, but it's not useful. A couple of useful little nuggets. First of all, John Wall of the Clippers uh, is a done deal, which we had talked about, I think, early last week when it sounded like that was the spot he was going to end up. And guess what? I don't care. No one on the Clippers beyond uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is likely to have fantasy value this coming season, at least not in a in an inside-the-top-100 sort of capacity. That's going to be a two-person show. And the only other player I would think on the Clippers you look at and say, is there a pathway, is not Evita Zubats, by the way, who got himself an extension, but he's going to have to play a ton of minutes to get there, and they'll go small from time to time. But actually, probably someone like a, a Norman Powell who could maybe get there. But now Reggie Jackson and John Wall are going to pull from a similar bucket. Uh, Rob Covington sounds like he's going through some mental stuff at the moment, which sucks. You guys know how much I love Rocco, and he's a guy that can get fantasy value in limited action because of the defensive stat upside, but that's not something I'm trusting either. Short version of all of this is, I wouldn't worry too much about John Wall to the clips. He'll probably get to play. He'll get a few points. He'll get a few assists. But the inefficiency stuff, it makes him almost exclusively a punt format type of player. There's another really little deal that absolutely flew under the radar. But I actually think is reason for... Note. There are actually a couple of them, uh, like Ricky Rubio back to the Cavs on a three-year deal, but he won't be playing mid midseason anyway, so you can semi-discard that one. Bruce Brown to the Nuggets on a two-year deal is also a little bit interesting, um, but I don't think there's going to be enough there, even though he's a guy that can sort of get in the trenches, get some rebounds, get some steals, that kind of stuff. I don't think you need to take a shot at it. The little deal, very little. I mean, super tiny thing that did, should, frankly, have flown under the radar, is that Raul Neto, who was the other point guard in Washington, alongside Ish Smith, who, remember, already got traded this offseason, also to the Nuggets, interestingly enough. Raul Neto is with the Cavs. He signed a one-year deal with the Cavaliers to seemingly bridge the gap to Ricky Rubio getting back from his blown wheel, his, his busted tire. I don't care about Neto, actually. What I care about is where he was, and that was on Washington, who just went out and seemingly targeted Monte Morris from the Nuggets, who no longer needed him. He became a little bit of a superfluous piece. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. So the Nuggets went out. They said, look, we need a wing. That's true 3 and D. Not Will Barton, who's kind of neither of those things. Inefficient creator. And they went and they turned Will Barton and Monty Morris into mostly Contavious Caldwell Pope. And they get Ish Smith back, and that's fine, and he'll do some stuff, but... The guy they wanted in that deal was KCP because he fits beautifully. There isn't a better fit guy in the NBA alongside superstars than KCP. Get himself open. We saw he had a really nice clutch three-pointer run when the Lakers were in the playoffs. And that's the kind of thing the Nuggets are going to need alongside Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and, of course, Nikola Jokic. But again, we're kind of circling the actual point of this discussion, which is that now... Monte Morris is largely unchallenged for point guard minutes in Washington. It's not a done deal that he'll have fantasy value. This isn't like a, a guarantee, because dude did play 30 minutes this last year with the Nuggets. He played starters minutes with Denver, because Jamal Murray was out the entire year, and Monte still only got 12.5 points, 4.5 assists, 1.73 pointers, .9 combined defensive stats. Good percentages, but frankly, just not enough volume for them to really matter. He did most of his damage with efficiency, and when you're that guy, you need to be taking shots. Being efficient low volume means that your efficiency doesn't actually create that much of a positive impact. I don't think his shooting's going to be nearly as good in Washington as it was in Denver because he's not going to be alongside Nikola Jokic anymore. But I do think that seeing a slight uptick from 10.3 shots per game is a possibility on a team that will probably say, look, we went out, we went and got you. We want to see what you can be as you do a little bit more. Yes, of course, Bradley Beal is ahead of him in the pecking order. And Christoph Porzingis is ahead of him in the pecking order. And I would argue someone like a Kyle Kuzma is probably ahead of him in the pecking order. Maybe Rui Achimura is ahead of him. Either way, when you kind of, when you whittle this thing down, if you can get Monte Morris one and a half more shots per game, get him up to a cool dozen instead of 10.3, just put the ball in his hands a tiny bit more. Maybe the assists go up from 4.4 to like 5.1. And maybe the minutes actually go up from 30 on the nose to, you know, Beal played 36 a game last year. Kuzma played 33. Wizards won't wouldn't be afraid, I don't think, to play Monty over 30 minutes a ballgame, especially now with almost no legitimate backup to him. Maybe they just let Beal run point. Or there's probably somebody young on that team that I hadn't really looked at yet. Wizards are going to want to try to win a few games next year. Beal in an extension... They got Porzingis in town. You know, they got two pretty big-name guys. And now they're trying to fill out the areas around them with a little bit more creation. I don't really know. I mean, like, I like KCP on that team. Um, I like him in many plays. Not fantasy-wise, just, you know, team fit-wise. He's he's really good for that type of thing. Uh, I don't know. If we can get Monty Morris to a dozen shots, maybe it's asking too much. Beal at 19 this last year, Porzingis around 15, Kuzma around 14. That's probably a number that should go down a tiny bit. But again, it's not that far to jump with Morris to get him from number 120, which is was what he was his last year. By the way, also played in 75 of his team's games, so over 90% of his ball club's regular season games this last year in Denver. 12.6, 3 and 4.4. Maybe what it comes down to is just being on the floor 10% longer every ball game. That gets him 1.03 more shots per game, which gets him to 11 and a half instead of 12. Gets him to 14 points. Gets him to 1.9 three-pointers. 3.3 rebounds, about five assists, 0.8 steals instead of 0.7. Just that little bit. Even if we don't adjust for what I assume, and you know, again, you, you really don't know, but he seems like a guy that the Wizards like. They went and got him. You kind of have to read into that a little bit. Hey, this is a guy we wanted to go get. Even if all that happens. Is that the Wizards go and give Monte Morris an extra 10%. That's enough to get him to the edge of the top 100. And then anything beyond that becomes gravy. The problem, of course, is that there isn't that far he can go beyond that without the Wizards, basically without Bradley Beale missing like 20 games. Beale misses a bunch of ball games. Sure, Monty Morris will get 12, 13, 14 shots a ball game, and it'll be a whole lot easier to get to that point. If everybody's healthy, getting to 12 is still not a guarantee. We hope he'll have higher usage. We don't know. Where would I draft Morris? I certainly would not draft him inside the top 100. Not with what we know about his fantasy appeal. Low defensive stats, good efficiency, but also very low aggression. His big games this last year came when Jokic and Barton were out. Like, he needed a lot of to get out of his way for him to just be like, okay, I, uh, fine, you want me to do something? I'll finally go do something. But let's keep an eye on this thing because that I know the Netto move, you guys are like, Dan, Netto? Is that really? No, it's the fact that he's gone and now what's left behind. Let's finally get to the big trade. Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Malik Beasley, Pat Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, and stuff to the Utah Jazz, who will now be building around Donovan Mitchell, or so we've been told. I don't know if we know that to be true, Uh, but as of right now, that seems to be the way that, that things are shaping up. This is, of course, a massive trade, absolutely colossal, and at the same time, We knew someone was on the move. By the way, all the Brian Windhorst memes flowing around the internet remain positively hilarious. But this changes the complexion of both teams considerably. Let's first look at the Minnesota side, because they unloaded Jared Vanderbilt, who got off to a great start this last season and then slowed, slowed as the year went on and ultimately fell outside the top 100. Because the end of his year just wasn't good. You know, if you look at the last, whatever it was, 10, 20, 30 games, Vanderbilt was down outside the top 200. He just ran out of gas. You know, he's only playing in the low 20s and minutes at that point. Whatever gusto he had early in the year, it wore off. Patrick Beverly bounced kind of between top 80 runs and getting injured, and then those were more like top 150 runs. So he's now out of the picture, but he was really only a guy that you used either when one player was out or if you got on one of his little heaters. So that's not super important either. What comes back in Rudy Gobert is substantial. Now, if you kind of look at the, at the Wolves and how this whole thing shakes itself out, they, you know, Patrick Beverly didn't have to be in the starting lineup. They, they could handle things when he was coming off the bench. I think they ultimately liked his leadership. But that's not a huge deal. And then with Jared Vanderbilt, he was someone that they liked his energy and defense out of the shoot. But as games wore on, they tended to go other directions there anyway. You actually saw a lot of Torian Prince at power forward. Well, the power forward minutes are no longer open on the Wolves. Everything's shifting down a peg because Gobert is going to be your starting center. Cat is going to be your starting power forward forward. The Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards, is either shooting guard or small forward, just call him a wing player. D'Angelo Russell is your point guard. And then, insert question mark here, for remaining piece, because Malik Beasley and Pat Beverly are both gone, and those are the guys that were kind of the other player, the other guy that would take a shot every now and again. Wolves we'll could go a couple of ways with ways with this and you know just guessing on starting lineup probably doesn't help us much um you know they've been picking up players here and there no massive impact guys outside of course of Gobert you might see Torian Prince get in there at small forward and they could slide Anthony Edwards down to shooting guard honestly that part is not that interesting to me they have Jaden McDaniels who they really like a lot too as a front court player all of this stuff will be revealed in time. Luckily, none of those guys is going to hit fantasy radars, because there are just too many damn players in front of them. Cat is your number one, Anthony Edwards is your number two, D'Angelo Russell is your number three, Rudy Gobert is your number four in the starting lineup. Whoever else is in there is going to be taking the fifth most most shots on the team in a best-case scenario. That's Assuming they don't get lapped by some gunner coming off the bench and taking an extra shot or two. So it sort of doesn't matter. What does matter is now you've put twin towers on a team and twin towers that don't really handle perimeter stuff all that well. Wolves are going to be able to defend the hell out of the rim. That's for damn sure. But you are now injecting one of the league's premier rebounders, interior presences, alongside Cat. I was going to say alongside another guy who is a very good rebounder, but, you know, Cat offensively, he can float away from the bucket a little bit. The thing I'm most concerned about here, number one, is, you know, Gobert has never at least not recently, he hasn't had to deal with anybody trying to take a rebound away from him. Second best rebounder on the Jazz this last year was uh, basically Hassan Whiteside, who was filling in behind Rudy Gobert. No one besides the centers ever did any rebounding on Utah. Nobody. Nobody had more than 4.8. That was Royce O'Neal, third highest rebounder on the Jazz this year. Yeah. So, Gobert hasn't played with a power forward that goes and gets rebounds in forever, which sucks because you guys know me. I love me some Rudy Gobert. His consistency has been obscene the last few years. And it was again this most recent season, posting inside the top, in the sec, uh, mid to late second round on a per game basis, mid to late second round on a totals basis because he was basically right on league average in games played, maybe about one under it. 16 points, 15 rebounds, which is basically where you're rounding with him that just doesn't seem doable on a team where now suddenly there's a guy who was averaging 10. And same general story for Cat. Now, in Cat's defense, he at least had some teammates that got rebounds. You know, he he was familiar at least with other guys that could go and get it. Jared Vanderbilt averaged 8.4 and those guys played a lot of minutes together. Uh then Anthony you get it Anthony Edwards at 4.7. So you you actually had basically like a full-size a full power forward in between Cat and the next guy, where with Gobert, you, didn't even, you did not have that guy. You jumped all the way down to the third highest mark. But, other side of that coin, Cat's going to be playing mostly power forward on both sides of the ball. This isn't like a you-can-switch-it-off-a-little-bit. Rudy Gobert is going to be the guy who gets near the bucket, both on offense and on defense, definitely on defense. Specifically, they're gonna to try to figure out a way to keep him from having to work on the perimeter. Offensively, yeah, they can move Gobert around a little bit. Uh there will be some floating in and out. Basically, any time that Gobert's on the bench, let's assume he plays Oh, how many minutes did Rudy play this last season? Thirty-two? Yeah, about thirty-two. Uh so sixteen minutes, sixteen of cats minutes this coming season will be at center. He played 34 minutes per ballgame. 18 will probably come alongside Gobert where he's the power forward. But here's the thing. Even if we sort of talk ourselves in circles here and say, well, not every one of his minutes is going to be a power forward. This past season, all of his minutes were at center. So what we've done now is we haven't turned him into a only power forward, but we've carved his center minutes in half and we've replaced them with minutes where he is significantly farther away from the basket, specifically on defense, because that really does impact rebounding and shot blocking. And maybe he'll be able to float a little bit more from a shot blocking perspective because you have Gobert behind you. You can take some more chances. You know, it's possible the blocks are kind of an unpredictable handicap. But field goal percent is probably going to take a hit. Rebounds are probably going to take a hit. And that's unfortunate because those are two... Really nice positives for Cat, who may very fall very well fall back towards the end of the first round. And with Gobert, who's a late mid-to-late second rounder, he probably doesn't hang out in the second round anymore. He might still get to his 15 or 16 points. I'm not as worried about that part of it because ultimately, there are just enough things that are going to be near the bucket. Minnesota, uh, they move the basketball weather, exciting, all that fun stuff. But, 14 rebounds on a team where, uh, you know, half of the time he's on the floor, if you want to look at it this way, kind of flip the script, half the time that Rudy's on the floor, he's going to be playing alongside another center. Just a better rebounding team. One of the better, one of the best, I think, rebounding teams. Very good on the offensive glass. He's not just going to get, you know, six or seven rebounds a game where no one else is anywhere near it. It's just whatever percentage you think he hits the whatever it it carves off of it again we don't know for sure but it's going to be something it's a non-zero impact so rudy takes a hit cat takes a hit ant-man d'angelo russell not as much because vanderbilt going with pat bev going not that those guys were siphoning from those dudes but and malik beasley out of town there's still plenty available for wings and guards on the Wolves. What about over on the Utah side? Ooh boy. So this is a team that's probably going to go smaller. They did not likely bring in a new coach and send away Rudy Gobert to go roll Hassan Whiteside out there for 32 minutes of ballgame. I know that that's the build that they had. But I think the Jazz are going into not total teardown mode because they still have Tonovan Mitchell. They got rid of Royce O'Neal. They've been collecting some picks. Uh, They picked up a a rookie center that probably does get to play a little bit. I think folks might be getting a little overexcited there. This is a team that's still going to be trying to win, so uh, I think you're going to be getting a ton of young big man minutes. But at the same time, What you should probably be looking for here is some sort of small ball lineup that perhaps they're not done this offseason. Mike Conley's still there. Donovan Mitchell's still there. Boyan Bogdanovich is still there. The Jazz. I mean, Jazz got a great, great fantasy season from Donovan Mitchell, who... I I don't know. I don't know if he gets better from where he was. One and a half steals per game. What else does he do? What else could he do? Donovan Mitchell's role feels like it probably sticks a little bit. We don't know what Will Hardy's gonna do with this team from a scheme standpoint. We do know that there's gonna be an adjustment period there. Mike Conley, he's sat right around number seventy. I don't have every reason to believe he could probably do something like that again. Boyan Bogdanovich was at one forty on almost fourteen shots per ball game. I don't you know, I don't know that that number goes up much, but one thing that probably does change for the Jazz is that you're going to see these guys get a little bit more in the rebounding department. Because whoever they slot in there for Gobert, whatever combination of humans takes his place, is probably not going to get 14.5, 15 rebounds a game. Some of those are going to fall to the wings. Jared Vanderbilt likely being one of them. He might be a small ball center on that club. Yeah, he profiles more as a power forward, but that's probably Boyan Bogdanovich. Small ball stretch four. Royce O'Neal was playing wing. Someone else will slot in there. We don't know exactly who yet, but they'll figure it out. And then Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley in the backcourt. And you're still in fine shape. We're going to redo the Jazz handicap because I really this is a team that's going to be changing some stuff. Maybe it's Malik Beasley. He might be their starting small forward right now. So there's actually a lot to take a look at with Utah. Beasley and Bogdanovich have similar issues from a fantasy standpoint. They don't defend. They're good foul shooters, not great field goal percent guys. They don't rebound. They're pretty much just points and threes and free throw percent. And I don't know if there's enough for either of those guys to to do it without Mitchell or Conley, specifically Donovan Mitchell, getting hurt. But Donovan will still be fine. Conley will still be fine. And then if we find out that they're going to go smaller, maybe they start us on Whiteside. I don't know, but he probably doesn't play more than 18, 20 minutes a ballgame, even as a starter. It might be kind of like the DeAndre Jordan memorial starting role. Hey, you play the first six minutes, then you're done for the rest of the half. Fine. Keep an eye on Whiteside just in case. He's going to need more than 18 minutes to get there, but not by that much. 21-22 would be enough. And for Vanderbilt, if he somehow finds himself with starters minutes and a new motor this year after kind of seeing what a full season looks like last year, he could be a very interesting play in all of this. Remember, Vanderbilt played only 25 and a half minutes a game last year. He was number 108, mostly, again, because he ran out of gas. High defensive stat, high rebound, high field goal percent play, who probably continues to get a little bit better in the other stuff. I think the Jazz really wanted Vanderbilt, and I think they're happy about getting him. So Utah's the spot here, and Minnie is a logjam. Towns will probably get a tiny bit overdrafted. If he's durable, he might get there. Gobert, unfortunately, probably gets a little bit overdrafted, depending on, I don't know, he might fall off a little bit. Anthony Edwards will be fine. D'Angelo Russell's a guy I really don't like to draft. He's constantly dinged up. Got pretty close to league average in games played this last year, but he's an unpredictable lot. Uh, And then over on Utah, Donovan Mitchell generally gets overdrafted. He finally got there because of the steals this last season. Conley will probably be underdrafted, might make an old man squad team, but there's not much in the way of upside. And then Vanderbilt is the guy I'm watching on the Utah side with a little bit of a side eye towards someone like a Hassan Whiteside uh, or... Is it Walker Kessler? Is that the young fellow they brought in? I forget the name. Good job, Dan. Good job finishing out your podcast. Either way, if you're trying to win, if a team is trying to win, those types of guys tend to play their way into a few more minutes. Profiles as the everybody's going to draft him thinking they're getting something out of the gate, and they're going to get nothing out of the gate, and then he's going to hit the waiver wire, and then we're going to be looking at him again in, like, January going, maybe? Anyway. All right, folks, thanks for uh, hanging in there. Podcast coming out in the afternoon. We'll try to get tomorrow's out at a normal time. I think we might finally finish up um, the team breakdowns. Still the Suns. I think that was it. Wasn't it? Just Yeah, just Phoenix left. And um, then we'll dive into the ADP report from last year. Finally, took us into July. Show 62 in the books. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Hey, keep checking out our MLB and NFL coverage. NFL is really ramping up this week as that season is, uh, sheesh, like two months away. They're close. We're still three and change. Football's first. Dang. (laughs) Said the basketball podcaster. All right. Have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. So long, everybody.